you have your Bibles, you can open to 1 John chapter 5. There's a really long book in the New Testament called John. If you get there, you're almost there. Keep going. It's called 1 John, 1 John. And we've been in this book for the last six weeks, and we enter this week into the home stretch. We've got this week and next week as we finish off this book. And in this passage we'll read this morning, John starts taking all the themes that he's utilized over the course of this book and wrapping them together to create kind of a final image of what Christianity is all about. So if, if you're new to church, this is a great Sunday for you to be here. You get a glimpse of what Christianity is supposed to be all about as we read. And, and we'll read together right now the first five verses of 1 John chapter 5. John says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And all God's people said, Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write down this phrase. It might be revolutionary for you. Three words. Christians are weird. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I came to church. I, I didn't grow up going to church, and so I was in high school. My buddies invited me to our high school ministry, Omega, here, and I walked in, and I had a good time. But I left with those three words bouncing around in my brain. Christians, they're sure weird. They're weird. I remember them singing songs to God. That seemed weird to me. I remember at one point looking across the room and I thought someone was wearing a Subway Sandwiches t-shirt. And I thought, that's weird. But then I kept looking at it and it didn't say Subway, it said God's Way. Like it was this <laughs> Christian t-shirt. Like, where do you get those? What is that? Uh, they had their own music they listened to, like that sounded like music I'd hear on the radio, but with words I'd never heard before, right? These people, right? I felt like Jane Goodall observing Christians in their natural habitat. These Christians. <laughs> this is a weird bunch, these guys. Now, here we are. It's us. We, we are the weird ones. Now, what is it about us that makes us weird? Hopefully, it's not just the t-shirts and the music and the subculture and the Christianese that we say. If you ask people in the world what makes Christians different... Unfortunately, I think a lot of the answers that folks will give about us are things that we would not want people to say about us. I was reading this week a survey that Barna Institute did about three years ago, and they gave people these four images. We'll put them on the screen. This is a dramatic reenactment. These aren't the actual four images, but they put four images on the screen, and they asked the folks looking at the survey, which one of these images best kind of depicts for you what you think of when you think of this people group known as Christians? Right? Is it the Floating hand over the Bible. Looks like an angry finger. I don't know what makes a finger angry, but that one's angry. Is it the guy helping out a homeless man? Is it the megaphone screaming? Or is it the like rock and roll worship circus? Which one of these best describes in your kind of emotion what a Christian is? And what do you think people said? What would be your guess? One, two, three, or four? I heard everything but four. Okay, one, two. It's funny, that one looks the most like this morning. But okay, 
Here are, the, here are the answers. Here's what people said. 37% of people, when they think of Christians, they think of an angry Bible pointy person. I guess that's my function in this community is to kind of like... And 24% think about Christians giving a hand up to somebody who needs help or a handout. 16% picture the person with the angry microphone. 23% picture the like lights and laser Christian worship circus. Which means that 53% of people in our world, when they think about what makes Christians distinct, what is the weird factor, what makes us weird, they think, and you've heard these words before, that we are judgmental, hypocritical, angry, Bible-thumping folks. That's not what we want people to think of. I don't know if I'd rather have them think that I wear like a Christian t-shirt or if I thump a Bible, but neither of those are good. I think part of that, we, we hear these things, we think about these things, and we know that we're weird, right? We know that we're different. We know we have rhythms and we do things that other people do not do. We know that. At the same time, for most of us, what it feels like to be a believer, it doesn't, we don't feel angry. I feel like I've ever thumped a Bible. I don't even know what that would be like. I don't even own a megaphone. I don't own a subway t-shirt. And yet when people in the world think of us, they think of these things. And if there's anything that should mark us as a community, like if there's one thing that makes Christians unique, weird's a weird word, right? Unique, different, weird. The one thing that's markedly different about Christians versus any other gathered group of people on the face of the earth is that Christians have Jesus. Right? Like that, that should come into play in some level of our reputation. You know, when we think of the angry finger, when we think of the megaphone, I don't think of Jesus. Now John, in this last little section of 1 John, before he closes it next week, He starts describing what marks Christians as a people, what makes them different. And and John makes the same case, that the thing that makes Christians unique from any other group of gathered people on the face of planet Earth is that Christians are the children of God who, who have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, who are in this relationship with God that is drastically different than anyone else could experience any other way on the face of the Earth. The question I want to wrestle with this morning is, how do we make that our lives? And how do we move from a reputation of being angry Bible-thumping people to a reputation of being people who are marked by the love of God and the community of God, by the Spirit of God flowing through us, by the centrality of Jesus and looking like him and loving like him? How do we get to this place? Not merely that we're known for being loving people, but how do we get to a place where we are loving people? Because I believe that there is no more amazing place to be than in a loving, spirit-enabled Christian community. Right? You don't have to write down Christians are weird, but if you want to write down this, this is the controlling question of the morning. What is, or what should be, what is the effect of the presence of God on the way we operate in community? What's the effect of God? Should God play a part in all this? And so to do this, we'll look at 1 John chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1 together. Here's where John launches into this segment. He says these words in 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. You'll see if you have a Bible in, that you're looking at with your hands, the word Father, unlike the one on the screen, is a lowercase f, right? He's trying to bring up not necessarily something theological, but he's trying to bring up a, a truth about what it feels like to live in Christian community through a, a set of analogies. And so John gives us two basic premises as we start this conversation. The first premise is this. Christians are God's kids, right? Not too rocket science-y. Christians are God's kids. The second one, this one's a little more controversial. If you love a dad, you will love his kid. Right? That one, some of you are like, I don't know about that. <laughs> you're thinking about my kids. You're like, I love you, Danny, but you're kids, man. They're crazy. You got like a, a friend that you hang out with. You're like, hey, I love these guys, but they're kids, man. They get on my nerves, right? You might say, I get it, I'm a child of God, because I know God, but you know what? I, I do not agree that if you love someone, you're gonna naturally love their children. I think it's important for us to know that when the Bible talks about love, it's not talking about what we're thinking about there. It's not talking about affection. It's not talking about liking. He's not saying that, that if you like me, you're gonna like my kids. When the Bible talks about love, it's always talking about not an emotion, but an action. Uh, moving towards someone's best interest, causing their flourishing, leaning in to make their life better. That's what love is, right? Biblical hatred is not anger and animosity towards someone. Biblical hatred is doing something against their best interest. So love is always an action in the Bible. So John is not saying that you're gonna like your friend's kids, right? You can argue about that later. What John is saying is that if you love someone, you are going to be for their children, not against them. So here's an analogy for you. I, I had a meeting at my house this week. We had like 12 of our staff over at my house and we were having a meeting, which is the least party-like atmosphere of all time, right? Just sitting in a circle talking about church stuff, work stuff, right? But my kids, when they came into the room, coming home from preschool, whenever my girls see a gathered group of people, they think it's a party, right? So they were like looking around, like I was driving my girls home from something yesterday and they saw these kids getting dropped off from baseball practice. They're like, oh, baseball party. It's like, it's not a party. It's a carpool, just a carpool, right? Same way, we're having a meeting, but the girls come in, they're like, oh my goodness, it's a party, right? It's like, where's the cake? Where's the balloons, right? We're having a party. It's a, is it for me? It's my birthday, right? We're like, it's not your birthday. So they run and they see Charles sitting there. And they're like, it's Charles, right? Like they, they know Charles' kids. Charles is over our house all the time. And so they run over to Charles and he grabs my girls and throws them up in the air. Like, yeah, right? And Charles, I don't know if you actually like my kids. I don't care. <laughs> but I know two things. One, Charles does good for my kids because Charles likes me. And two, if Charles didn't know me, he would not be allowed to touch my kids. Right, is that fair? Right, if you're just hanging out at McDonald's and a stranger comes up and picks up your kid and throws him in the air, right? <laughs> right, you're gonna put on your big old Ronald McDonald shoes and kick him out of there, right? <laughs> what, I, what I mean by this, and I think what John is saying is that when you know a parent, it gives you unique access into the life of their children that other people don't have. Right? Your access to children in this world has nothing to do with how much you like kids. Right? If you go to a park and you see a kid, you're like, ooh, I like that one. I'm going to go hold him. Don't do that. Don't do that. It doesn't matter what your affection is. It doesn't matter how much you want to. Right? Maybe this is good training for some of you. Right? Your love, your desire, your passion for children has no bearing whatsoever on your access to children. Your access to someone's children is absolutely dependent and solely dependent 
on the relationship that you have with the children's parents. Do you agree? Like if you're at the park and a kid falls off the swing and starts crying, right, bleeding. If you're a good person, you're going to be like, oh, no, someone should help that kid, right? But your next move absolutely depends on how well you know that kid's parents, right? If it's like your best friend's kid, you're going to be like, get over it, get up, right? (laughs) Come alongside the parenting of your best friend. If it's like an acquaintance's kids, right, you'll go over and be like, are you okay? You want me to get your mom, right? Like pat them on the back. If you kind of recognize the kid, but you don't know if their parents know you, right, then you got to do the like stranger danger dance, right? You kind of get close enough to like, hey, little boy. Like you're looking around, it's like, I can tell you're all looking at me. Like, are you okay? Or you can't grab the kid. You don't touch the kid. Is your mommy here, right? You have to ask. And you have to ask loud enough that other people know that you're not creepy, right? Is your mommy here? Do you want me to get her for you, right? And if the kid comes up like, ah, you're like, ah, right? And if you do come to a place that you have to pick up this stranger's child, right, you have to make it very evident publicly that you're not creepy. Maybe this is just me. I don't know. I probably would just ignore and go out of the park, right? But you grab the kid and you say like, let's go find your mommy together, right? Does anyone know this kid's mom? Right? You're very public about the fact that like, I know that I have no legitimate access to this child, And so let's just be out in the open about the fact that I'm trying to help as a human being, and this is weird. John is saying that we're God's kids, right? We agree on that. If you are a Christian, you are a child of God. You're a son of God or a daughter of God. That is true. And yet he doesn't just say, okay, so look at each other like brothers and sisters. He takes it from a different angle. He says, if you love the Father, and you as an individual are in relationship with the Father— then the God of the universe has given you, has granted you, by the nature of your relationship with him, he's granted you access into the lives of his children that no one else in this world has. And that's a beautiful thing. If you know God, you have access to go to the people of God and use the relationship you have with the Father to do them good, to help them to flourish. But if one of God's kids gets hurt, is crying, stumbling, Right? You, as a fellow believer, you know the Father. You have access to go into that person's life and say, hey, I saw you crying here after the church service. Is everything okay? Right? Some of you have done that. And you get to come alongside them and not be a weirdo, right? not be creepy, because what you're saying is, hey, I'm a Christian too. What's going on? Let me pray for you. Right? I can help you in that way. We both know the same Father. Right? If someone in God's family celebrates something, we can all celebrate, right? Jesus says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. We have access into each other's lives, not merely because we're all related, but we have access into one another's lives because God the Father, through the relationship we have with him, has granted us access into the lives of his kids, which is a really cool thing. Now, some of you have really amazing relationships in this world with friends and coworkers and things. And you've gotten to step into this really cool relationship with our kids. Some of them call you uncle, right? Or they say, oh yeah, this is my godfather. Or, you know, this is my dad's friend, right? But you kind of act like an uncle, right? So if the kid needs money, you can give him money, right? You don't just give a strange child money, right? But you can give your best friend's kid money. You can pay for their college if you want to, if you're a rich person, right? You should do that. Do that for my kids. I don't know. But you, you can pay for their college. <laughs> you can do good for them. You can help them to flourish not because you really saw something in that one individual kid that you wanted to come alongside. That's weird. 
Because you had a relationship with their parents, you had access to step into their lives. Now, some of you have experienced this by stepping into a, a Christian small group, even for the first time. Or maybe you've been part of a book club, like one of those Oprah book clubs. It's not like a Christian thing. Or you've got a group of guys you go out riding or whatever on the weekends or whatever it is, right? And it's fun and it's cool to have friends. But a Christian small group, right? It's weird. It's a different beast, right? These could be eight people that have never met each other before, right? You all just signed up on the list at church, right? You get showed up. You show up at a stranger's house, which is weird. You go into their house. You sit down. You open the Bible together. You have kind of an awkward initial conversation. Then you share some prayer requests. And what you may have noticed is in a Christian small group, for some reason, these people that you don't know from Adam start becoming willing to open up about deep things in their lives they don't share with anybody very, very quickly. You might be on like week three of a small group and someone says, hey, I just gotta tell you, I hate my job. Or you might be on like week two of your small group. Someone says, you know what, I just need to tell you about some stuff that happened in my past that's really affected me. I've never told anybody. And you might be thinking, if you're new to small groups, you're thinking, you never told anybody? Then you told us? Like, we just met. Like, what? why are you telling me these things, right? It's this holy moment. It's this beautiful moment where people start sharing the depths of their souls with you, and you're wondering, do they just overshare everywhere, right? But then you start doing it. You start sharing about your life and your experience, and you're thinking, what is happening here? What's happening here is that because all of you share the same father, you have access, like no one else in the world, to, to the deepest parts of these people's lives, and you feel like, okay, this is a safe place because we all worship the same God. We have the same father. This is a place where I can share about these things. And it's amazing. And more than being amazing, it's also an opportunity where it's almost like the God of the universe has said, hey, there's something going on in one of my kids' lives and I brought you into their life because I want you to step into their life and care for them in a way that no one else can. We get this access to these vulnerable places. Now, I know some of you have been in small groups with people that you didn't know at all. And then six weeks later, like they're in your house every week. You're like best friends. Some of you have been in a small group with people or in a church group with people for a number of weeks. You get to know them and they, you realize they're new to Christianity. And so you start having them over all the time. And all of a sudden, God's using you to help them understand the faith for the first time or counsel their marriage for the first time to talk about things they've never talked about with anyone. And yet they feel safe talking to you It's because God has given you access into their lives. Because you love God, you want to help them to flourish. And God has given you opportunity in those moments that when his kids are hurting or have needs, He's chosen that you and your community will be the place that can meet those needs unlike anywhere else in the rest of the world. Now, if Christians are weird, this is the kind of weird that's fun to be. I was talking to a guy the other day who started a, a small group, a, men, a men's group, and they'd met together for a couple weeks, and in the midst of it, one of the guys in the group just kind of opened up like we're talking about, and he started sharing that, you know, life's been really hard for me. I, I'm not making enough to pay the bills and I don't know where my rent's going to come from and, you know, those kinds of things. And, and by the end of the small group, like, all the guys were pulling out their wallets and they all paid this guy's rent together. And the guy's thinking, like, how does this happen? Right? You've probably been part of a group where something like that happened. It happens all the time, especially in these new groups. You get in and God's using you to bless each other, using you to meet, meet each other's needs. It starts looking like the opening chapters of the book of Acts where the believers have everything in common. And it's this amazing thing that happens when based on the nature of relationship that we all have with the same father, 
God all of a sudden opens these doors of access into the lives of his children, and we're able to bring, bring blessing and help and assistance and prayer and, and effective support in a context that doesn't get met anywhere else in the world. Now, I wish that's what people knew Christians as instead of the megaphone Bible-thumping people. Man, if you've ever been part of a community like that, it's, it's unbelievable. Chances are, if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, you've started to experience that. You've caught a glimpse of that. You've had pockets of that. And at the same time, sometimes the, the kind of support that God wants you to give, it starts to get a little bit overwhelming. You know, John, John says that the way that we love people, it's not rocket science. I mean, it says it here in, in verse 2. He says, this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, right? It's saying if you're in a small group and someone has a financial need and you feel like God's commanding you to give that person money, give them money, right? There's no book you need to read on how to love people. You don't have to get a master's degree in helping Christian community, right? It's the same way as your normal Christian life, but now you're looking at other people. And so when you're in this community and needs arise or something happens or you start to feel this burden from God, you lean into it, you respond to God, you do what he says, and that's how it works. But a lot of times when we start doing this over and over again, it starts to feel like this huge weight on our shoulders. Because the guy that you gave rent money to pays his rent, and then next month he can't pay his rent again. Like, I thought we helped that guy. He needs money again? Where does this guy live? The Bay Area? Why does this keep happening? <laughs> you spend all this time with this couple. You're trying to counsel and mentor, and they're sticking with you for a while, but then all of a sudden, like, one of them goes off the deep end, and they disappear on you. You think, I, I gave up my Thursday nights every week for this for three months, and then you leave? What was the purpose of that? Right? This, I got a lot of other stuff to do. Or you try to help someone, then they go off the path. You try to seek someone out, then they turn their back on you, right? You, you feel compelled by God to open up your home to people. Then these people move in, and now you're exhausted all the time. And you're thinking, God, I love the idea of following you. But I do what you say, and it's a huge weight because I've got all this other stuff to worry about, too. How am I supposed to pay my bills when I've got to pay that guy's bills? When's my time? Right? I spend all my nights with these people. When's my time? I, I thought I was going to spend my retirement years having some freedom, but now I'm raising my grandkids. Right? I didn't sign up for this. I, I signed up to follow you, but now I've got to serve these people. Right? I love these people. Right? But God, I'm tired. This is burdensome. Now, sometimes the thing, that, the thing that gets in the way of the beautiful relationship that we can have with other people in the Christian community is how hard it seems to do the things God has called us to do. And yet John makes a bold claim in the next verse here in chapter 5 when he says his commands are not burdensome. His commands, John says, are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. That's one of those things that sounds like a Christian platitude. Like, hey, you overcame the world, so it's not hard, just do it. You're like, it's hard. I'm tired. I feel like I'm going to be out of money. I'm out of time. I got a lot of the stu stuff to do. Yet this statement that his commands are not burdensome because anyone who, who loves God has overcome the world almost becomes this hinge in the passage where from there, John just starts like exclaiming all this 
amazing theological stuff and going on these diatribes about Jesus and who he is and who we are and what we have and how we have life in his name. And it's like John just discovered something amazing and we read it and we think, what's he talking about? John is saying that the reason that that what God is calling you to do is, is not hard is because the life that God has called you to and the life that, is, that God has given to you as you've followed Jesus is a life that is unlike any other human being on the face of the earth. Remember the first week, the second week of the series, we talked about the world where John says, do not love the world. And we said the, the world is the system, any system in which God does not reign. And so John from the beginning of the book has said, listen, untie yourself from this world system because God's got a better system for you. Well, now at the end of the book, he's bringing it back and he's saying, listen, the reason that what God's calling you to, this this vision of community, the reason that it's not hard, the reason it's not burdensome is because all these things in your mind that you feel like you have to do, you don't, right? You're stressed out about helping people in your retirement years because you're scared you're never going to get a time on this planet to experience life in retirement, right? God's saying, you know that your life is going to last like 50,000 billion years, right? You you know, like these last 10 years of your life that you were kind of hoping to store up for yourself, you know, that's just like a glimpse, like a sliver, like a drop in the bucket of the eternal life that God has given you. And so don't stress out that your retirement years aren't fun because you've got 50 trillion years on the other side of retirement to have a good old time in heaven, right? Like your life is not the same as your neighbor's life. Your life is eternal. Life is in Jesus and eternal life is in Jesus. And so You don't have to play by the same rules as everyone else. You don't have to have the same perspective as everyone else. When you feel like, I can't help this person, where's the money going to come from? God says, you know that your money comes from me, right? Like, give it to him, I'll give you some more. Try it, right? Some of you have tried it, and he always gives you more, and yet you're still terrified to do it the next time, right? Like I said, John is saying, I'm trying to help you to understand that the life that God has given you is different than everyone else's life. Like, it's different. You're not bound to the world. You've overcome the world because of your faith. Your faith in Jesus has elevated you to a place where you are God's child, and anything you need, he'll give you. Right? He starts to remind us in the next few verses of of the beauty of what happened to us. He says, remember that Jesus was eternally existing with Father and Spirit in the heavens, and he put on flesh and dwelt among us. Remember that in his baptism, the Father cried out, this is my Son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Remember how God testified about Jesus? And remember how on a cross he died for our sins, for our forgiveness, his resurrection bought us life. Remember that? Remember how the Spirit of God came into your life and opened your eyes to see that in a new way, and you discovered this beautiful treasure? Do you remember that? That that was an amazing moment in your life. Something changed in you in that moment. And now you have a different type of life than anyone else you will ever meet because the Spirit of God has awakened you and adopted you into the family of God. And so when these things arise that feel like a burden, they're not a burden because God does not expect you to come up with the energy or the resources, the time to do these things. He will provide through you for the person's needs. And this is how he closes that, that amazing diatribe there in chapter, chapter 5. He reminds us in verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's like this reminder that Christians are weird. (laughs) We're unique. We're different. And the thing more than anything else that makes us uniquely different from our neighbor, from our coworker, from our biological family member who does not know Christ is that this life 
that Jesus brought into us, we have it, and it's real, and it will never fade away. After saying this, John kind of turns the corner and starts to wrap up, kind of tie a bow on, close his notes, and finish out this book. And he finishes it with this reminder in verse 13. He says, I I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John's saying, you know, we've talked about for these last five chapters that God is real. His spirit opened your eyes to that and sealed it in your heart. God has given you this affection for himself. He's given you this affection for other Christians. He's given you this desire to to be used by him, to live in this life-giving community. All of that is pointing to the fact that you're his. So don't doubt whether or not you're doing the right thing. Don't doubt whether or not you're really a Christian. Don't doubt if you should be spending your time serving these people, helping these people, pouring out your life for these people. You need to know that you have received this type of life, this eternal life that is unbelievable and can power you for every moment of your day on this earth and for the decades and millennia and eternity to come. As we start to kind of move into the final stages of this book, and even today as we kind of close out this sermon time and start to reflect and worship together, I just want to ask, where are you with all of this? Do you understand what Christianity is all about? Do you believe in the real Jesus? Are you having this increasing desire in your life to to live like Jesus lived, to love like Jesus loved? Is God kind of stirring something in you that you can be used to change people's lives as God's spirit affects them through you? If so, let let me give you three things. You can write these things down if you want to, but let me give you three things to hold on to as you walk into your week this week. Number one, Don't forget who you are, who you aren't, and what you have in Christ. Don't forget who you are, who you are not, and what you have in Christ. And John says we are uniquely his. We have eternal life. Like We are not of this world. You have access to the Father. Leverage those things. Don't forget who you are, who you aren't, and what you have in Christ. Second, Know that you have access to anything you need to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. And know that you have access to whatever you need, resources, time, energy. You have access to whatever you need to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. This is what John says in verses 14 through 15. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, We know that we have what we asked of him. This is one of those things that Jesus said all the time, right? Just ask, just seek, just knock. God will give it to you. Whatever you need, he'll give it to you. He's your dad. He'll give you whatever you want. Trust me, right? And we're like, "Uh, maybe, is that really true? John says, it's true. I was there. I walked with Jesus. I touched him. I knew him. I saw it. It's true. Whatever you need, whatever God's calling you to do, even today, he will give you what you need to do the work that he has called you to do. That's number two. And finally, I'm going to read it because I forgot it. Finally. <laughs> Use the access God has given you to himself and to his children to help keep others on the right path. Use the access God has given you to help keep others on the right path. Now, God has given you access to his children. 
use that access to keep them walking strongly with God. Right? This series is called A Road Less Traveled. We've talked a lot about the fact that there's so many things pulling us off the road. We'll talk about that one last time next week. But John says, if you've got access to God's children, use that access to keep them following the Lord. This is how he says it in verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. Right? You see someone strain. You see someone walking away. You see someone wandering. You see someone making poor choices, right? Sometimes it kills them, John says. If it doesn't, pray for them, and God will use that prayer to drag them back into the Christian community and give them eternal life. Lean into that. Use the access God has given you to his children to help keep others on the right path. Now, I, I believe that if we do this and we live these ways, I think our reputation will change in, in our families, in our communities, and, and in our world. And, you know, and I, I'm not that nervous about what the world thinks of us, but I am really encouraged by some of this research that, you know, Barna gave these people another four images to look at. I'll put them on the screen. So, okay, look at these four again, dramatic reenactment. Which one of these four images best depicts what you wish Christianity was like, right? When you think of Christianity, do you wish it was like a group of people studying the Bible? Do you wish it was like God's gym or something? We're like pumping it up for God, right? Do you wish it was like a hospital where people would come and serve hurting folks? Do you wish it's like a, a what is it called, a water jug thing that like, brings flourishing and flowering into all the earth. What, what image gives you joy, sparks joy, as you think about how Christianity should be? And what do you think people said? Four? One? Three? Someone say two so I can have them all. Two. Thanks, Justin. Overwhelmingly, people chose image number one. 48% of people said, you know what? If I picture a Christianity that's life-giving... Right, the image that they had to choose was a diverse group of people joyfully gathered together around a Bible. I said, I just want to be part of a community like that, of people who are friends from diverse backgrounds, who love each other, obviously, and who gather around the scriptures to encounter God in some way. That's funny, the image that John gives us of what the church should be about is the same image he has given lost people in this world of what they wish church looked like. Communities of people who gather together in life-giving ways around the scriptures of God to hear the voice of God and through the work of God to bring flourishing to everyone around them. This morning, as we close this teaching time, I want to give us a chance to reflect a little bit on, on where we are and, and what God's done in, in this series, but, but also just in our lives. If you're someone who is far from God, let this be a time where you start to wrestle with, why is it that, that I've never given my life over to God and, and started walking with Jesus? I've asked Ricky to come and, and sing a song for us this morning that'll give us a, a place where we can just reflect on the nature of the grace of God and then we'll respond in prayer and worship together. So Ricky will come out and sing for us and minister to us through that. out my days life carried me 
I would fail. 